You're listening to Chainleak, the crypto news podcast with your host, Joshua Roomsberg. Follow and subscribe today. Welcome to the Chainleak podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Roomsberg. Today's episode is about DeFi disruption, Open Dollar. Presented by Open Dollar. Today's guest, Joseph the CEO and co-founder of Open Dollar. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So for the listeners who might not know about DeFi or haven't experienced mm-hmm. that aspect of the industry yet, give them an introduction to Open Dollar and how you guys sure. are trying to transform the DeFi industry. Yeah. So we're trying to make lending in DeFi way more accessible, more safe and more powerful. There's a lot of things that you can do in lending and with money and TradFi that you cannot do in DeFi yet. Okay. Uh, So we're trying to kind of level up what you can actually accomplish and how useful DeFi is for more people. Now, when you talk about lending, what does the mm-hmm. lending aspect look like, not only for Open Dollar, but for the blockchain industry as a whole? Is your, sure. is your lending protocol comparable to others or is it totally different? Yeah, it's similar to uh, other frameworks that have been built before, like Reflexer uh, or MakerDAO but it has a lot of serious improvements that I think makes DeFi more flexible and safer for users than anything that people have come up with so far. When it comes to improvements compared to MakerDAO, what types of improvements have you brought to the industry? Yeah, I mean, quite a few. Uh, I think Maker is at uh, sort of a higher risk level and many other lending protocols in DeFi because they have this DAO governance over the protocol. Yep. The DAO can set fees, can set interest rates, can decide what to do with uh, certain internal variables that keep the protocol running. And they're governed by these governance tokens, right? Aave yep. has uh, the Aave token, MakerDAO has Maker, and that's actually a very big weakness on the protocol because it means that uh, humans are voting and humans can make mistakes. Yeah. So one of the guiding philosophies of open dollar is this idea of like ungovernance. So many of the um, internal variables that keep the protocol running are just set by math and a reflection of market trends and market data as it's happening. So the market price of the open dollar stable coin um, affects the redemption rate and other in- internal variables that keep the protocol going. So okay. there's way less control. There's way less human control over our protocol compared to MakerDAO. Uh, and the other big change is the NFT vaults, NFT NFVs. Okay. And let's, let's, let's get into yeah, that in a sure. second. Let's, okay. let's circle back to the lending aspect. If an end user okay. wanted to use open dollar to 
do a lending transaction, what would that look like? Sure. So initially we're supporting a lot of collateral types that are liquid staking tokens. And since we're planning to launch on Arbitrum, we're also supporting Arbitrum native assets like the ARB token okay. uh, and some other ones that we're going to announce really soon. So what it looks like from a user perspective is anyone who has these tokens can permissionlessly come to Open Dollar Protocol, deposit those in a vault, and borrow the OD stablecoin at a transparent and very, very low interest rate compared to other protocols. So, uh, so the concept of yep. that is you basically put your asset up and you mm -hmm. can borrow against whatever asset you deposit into the vault? That's right. Okay. Now, do you guys also do like Bitcoin, Ethereum, them types of assets as well? Or only Arbitrum to start? Yeah, so it's on Arbitrum and any type of Ethereum liquid staking token like Lido ETH or Rocket Pool ETH or Coinbase ETH. Uh, and I think there's going to be many more than those three in the future. Okay. But starting with those, you can bring those onto Arbitrum and deposit them into the vaults whenever you want. We don't okay. support Bitcoin or wrapped Bitcoin things yet, but maybe in the future. Okay, so what is the biggest difference between traditional lending and DeFi lending? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So traditionally, when do most people, Americans, but also internationally, when do most people get a chance to take out a, a really big loan? For, for my parents who are not, uh, you know, technically literate or, you know, doing um, as, as much DeFi things as I am, uh, the only time they're really taking out a big loan is to get a mortgage on a house yep. and to, to buy property or, or things like that. Maybe a car loan, you yep. know, stuff like that. And those type of loans, you would never take out a 30 year mortgage if you couldn't sell your home until your debt was paid back. Right. Right. Cause you want, you don't want to live in that house for 30 years necessarily. You want to have the flexibility to the sell it. The ability to come off. And, right. Right. Exactly. And in DeFi right now, if you open a position with Aave or MakerDAO or any other, there's no way for you to sell your collateral uh, or sell the asset that you're borrowing against without paying your loan back first. Wow. You have to pay your loan back to unlock those assets because okay. the vault system and the debt system in DeFi right now is not, it's not flexible and it's not built in a way that is scalable to, to meet the needs of lending for the masses and, and to really go global. So let me so stop open you dollar there. is really different. Sure. Let me, let me stop you there. When you look at other protocols in the way they work, the lending process, mm -hmm. you're saying each of them lending platforms have to be made whole before an end user would be able to transition them assets into something else. That's There's right. There's no way to keep that loan and move the asset. No, not really. Okay. Uh, people could take out a flash loan to pay back the debt and then unlock their collateral. But those types of moves are very technical or hard to pull off. Uh, I don't think that taking out flash loans is really 
you know, the end game for average people to be able to make the best use of DeFi. Right, for sure. So moving forward, when you look at mm-hmm. Open Dollar and what you guys are bringing to the industry, how is that different than what these other yeah. protocols are offering? So for the first time, you can sell the entire position, okay. not just uh, not just selling tokens and things, but selling an entire position. That means the vaults are actually stored as NFTs because I think NFTs goes way beyond monkey pictures. It's actually just a great way to store data. Right. And the data we're storing is a financial position. So you have this position, this NFV, this vault, where you've locked in, say, $100 of collateral, and you've taken out $20 in debt against it, just as an example. Yep. Uh, what's the value of that position? It's it's the value of your collateral minus the debt. It's $80. Easy. Okay. And you should be able to sell that entire position for $80 or for any for any amount. Right? To to anyone who's who's willing to buy it. Right. And because the vaults are so flexible, they're transferable, you can sell them on any existing NFT marketplace. We get to take advantage of all this incredible infrastructure that's been built over the last couple of years yeah. around NFT finance and related things. And it also means for, for lenders that you can create this position where you have this asset you want to hold for a long time. Maybe it's not a house. It's not a 30 year mortgage necessarily, but it's some tokens you don't necessarily want to sell. You can borrow against them. And when you're ready to get out of that position, you can sell the entire position as an NFT instead of having to close it and pay back the debt. As an end user, if I was looking to do a lending position, what type of interest rate would I have to pay on a loan like that? Yeah. So the interest rates uh, is called a stability fee. Okay. And those fees are actually really much lower than borrowing USDC or other more popular stable coins like that, USDT, Tether, yeah. uh, from, uh, from other lending protocols. Okay. So it's going to depend on the risk profile of the asset. But most likely it's going to be between one and a half and two percent to borrow. Okay. So from the flip side, when you look at a user in the industry who may have excessive mm-hmm. wealth, who may want yeah. to go in and swoop up five hundred different um NFT loans, what would it look like from the wealth aspect if a wealthy individual wanted to come in and buy 500 NFT loans, they would make between Mm -hmm. one and 2% on each one of them loans once they are repaid. Um, not, so not exactly. They could buy the positions, but, uh, you don't necessarily buy the loan. Like you're thinking in TradFi, like your bank is selling the loan to a hedge fund or something like that. So they would, they would come in and and probably open their own position. And what we're seeing right now is a lot of interest from family offices and hedge funds and funds that are wealthy, not necessarily individuals, but uh, you know, conglomerates. Um, deep, deep, yeah, you know, some whales in in DeFi, and they're interested in holding liquid staked ETH in Lido ETH or Rocket ETH and holding it for a very long time. Okay. And it's very comfy for them to sit on that 
that interest bearing position at say 1.3 X leverage because they don't think ETH is going to go below uh, $500 very soon. Yeah. And so their plan is to hold on to this staked ETH for a long time to make a lot of money on the, on the staking yield on the proof of stake rewards and to lock that into our protocol to borrow open dollar against it and then take that open dollar that they've borrowed and buy more liquid stake tokens. And now you're creating a leveraged position and the demand for open dollar for the stable coin is really going to be a reflection of the demand for leverage on liquid stake tokens on LSTs. Okay. So it's not the same concept as traditional lending. The way I was thinking is in a traditional sense, like even for mortgages, you could get a mortgage Mm -hmm. with one company and they sell it to another for X amount extra on the back end. Right. Um, The original lender might want to come off that to reposition in the industry. Maybe they see the opportunity for a different property or a different location that they would want to put their resources into. Um, Right. When it comes to DeFi, what do you feel is the biggest difference between DeFi lending and traditional lending? So in, in that example, you're getting it, you're getting your loan from a bank, from this centralized entity, and you don't really have a chance to weigh in on the policies of that bank or to, or to benefit from the bank's success, really. I mean, you can buy its stock, maybe, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit more indirect. Whereas in open dollar, you know, it's a DeFi protocol and DeFi protocols in general have these governance tokens, have ways to participate, to, um, earn rewards. And I also think the other main difference is that it's global and it's cross border and we don't discriminate. Now, when you originally started this interview, you talked about ungovernance. Can we go into that a little bit and circle back on ungovernance and what that means for open dollar? Sure. So let me start with an example. Yep. Do you remember earlier this summer when Ave and Curve had this big thing where the founder of Curve had created this huge lending position on Ave yep. with the Curve token that he had a lot of. Yep. And if the price of Curve went down just a little bit, then his position would have been liquidated and Ave Dow and the protocol itself would have been left with millions of dollars of bad debt. Okay. So that kind of thing is way less likely to happen on open dollar and on ungoverned protocols because there's much less human intervention and the risk tolerance of the protocol is basically set by math. Underwater positions are liquidated automatically and there's just so much less human intervention and room for human error in a protocol that's ungoverned. And Vitalik has actually written a lot about that. Yeah. Another thing with ungovernance is you guys don't have a token that represents your position within the protocol itself. So there's no token yet. 
there could be in the future, but if there is, then its only role is not updating, uh, not updating parameters in the protocol, but only adding new types of safes and new types of collateral that can be borrowed against. So its power would be extremely, extremely limited, uh, in a way that, uh, governance token power is maximized in other DeFi protocols. And this is one of the things that Vitalik has mentioned a lot in his writings about Reflexer and Rye and, uh, some of the, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, but I think there is really incredible things that you can do with smart contracts because of how autonomous they are. I was thinking about the centralized aspect as well. When mm -hmm. say you have people at the top of a protocol that manage 20, 30, 40% of a protocol, they can dictate right. what happens on the back end. And you're saying with the potential for down the road, having an additional token on top of open dollar protocol, that it wouldn't be a governance token. That's a good question. So it would probably be structured or called a governance token, but its power would be absolutely minimized as much as possible okay. in a way that other DeFi protocols try to maximize it. Right. Now, is open dollar open source? Absolutely. Every part of open dollar, even our front end app is 100% open source. It's all on our GitHub. And we're actually in the middle of a community open security audit with Code Arena, one of our, our partners right now. Okay. So we have dozens, maybe hundreds. I don't know exactly how many, but we have many dozens of people working right now today auditing our open source code before we get ready for launch later this year. So that's a really, I'm really excited about our community audit and all the things that uh, people are working very hard to, to come up with and secure our protocol right now. If there are any people listening or watching this interview, are there any rewards for finding bugs within the ecosystem? Do you guys have any? Yeah, there at is. This time? We do. We actually have 35,000 USDC okay. on the table right now to find bugs in the open dollar protocol. It also includes gas optimizations. So if you come up with an idea for how to make open dollar cheaper or more safe and secure, okay. Hey, that's exactly the kind of things that we want to reward. And we're really not building this for ourselves. We're building this for the community. So we want it to be, uh, you know, as many people as possible to have contributed to it before we launch and, and then into the future. Now, for these types of individuals who want to look into that, where do they go to learn more information about these bounties for bugs and advancements of the protocol? Yeah. So the best place would be to join our Discord okay. or to follow us on Twitter, uh, open underscore dollar on Twitter. And we post about all the updates uh, whenever we have a new version of the code that we're deploying or we're starting a new bug bounty contest or anything, it will always be announced there. And we're very transparent about what we're working on. I really believe in building in the open and, and making sure everything um, is just on the table for people to, to see what we're doing. For sure. Now, one last time, give them your website so they can find the Discord through clicking links. Sure. 
Yeah, opendollar.com. Okay. And then do you know the Discord handle offhand or not? You can go to opendollar.com slash Discord, and it will send you there. That's perfect. That's what I was trying to get at. Now, you guys also have a multi-collateral framework. Could we go into that a little bit? Sure. So multi-collateral means there are different collateral types that are used. Yeah. And also that our token is fully over collateralized. Okay. So in the past, there's been other stable coins built that were not fully collateralized that didn't have actual value behind them, securing them. Yep. And, and I know a lot of people remember different ones collapsing in the last cycle um, that's not really possible for open dollar because of the full collateralization nature of it. Okay. So if you lock a hundred dollars into the protocol, you can only borrow up to about $80 against that. Okay. So there's always this barge, this margin of error, this buffer, uh, okay. where people can expect to find the amount of value that's been locked into the protocol and smart contracts enforcing that that is always much more than the amount being borrowed against it in the total amount of open dollar. And then the multi-collateral part is there are different types of tokens that you can lock into vaults and borrow open dollar against. So like we mentioned before, Lido ETH, Rocket ETH, and Arbitrum native assets like the ARB token. With that being said, let's circle back to these NFVs not NFTs, NFVs, and go into what can be built with these NFV concepts. Sure. So the NFV, the non-fungible vault, again, is our vault system that users lock collateral into, and it's also tradable as an NFT. So the owner of the NFT always owns the vault and owns the collateral inside of it. So there's this idea of creating stable coins that are actually safer than other ones that exist in DeFi, okay. where you can redeem your stable coin for high, col- high quality collateral whenever you want. Okay. Um, f- if you have a bunch of DAI, I mean, do you remember earlier this spring when USDC and DAI and all these other stable coins depegged because of yep. Silicon Valley Bank? Yep. That was a really rough weekend for a lot of people, you know? Yeah, it was crazy. And people holding DAI, even though it's over collateralized, they have no way to redeem that stable coin for the collateral that is backing it. Wow. Because the vault system is just not flexible. If you have USDC, there's no way for you to call circle up and be like, Hey, I need this uh, back. Right. You I know, got you. I need, I need that collateral, you know, give yeah. me a treasury bond worth $75. They don't do that yeah. because it's just not a flexible system. But in with open dollar, you could build a redemption model on top of it where people who have OD can bring it to your safe, uh, pay back your debt and unlock some amount of your collateral worth the same amount. And maybe you can earn additional fees there. So that would one, keep the stablecoin holders safer because if there's ever a time that they want to get out of the stablecoin, they always have a way to redeem, uh, to get ETH or get, you know, the safety asset out of it. 
And two, it could be a, an additional yield opportunity for people using the NFVs. Now, so there's all kinds of things that I didn't even come up with when we designed this system that I'm just excited for other people to build on top of it. That's another thing I'm thinking about while you were explaining that is will yeah. you guys build out an NFV marketplace or would it be somebody in the community coming in and saying, hey, I got this idea for an NFV marketplace to where you can trade these different loans on a on a platform that would be intuitive, I guess, would be the way I would take. Yeah. It's really important that if we do that, we do it safely because the owner of the vault, the owner of the NFV can take the collateral out of it and also borrow against it. So it needs to be very clear what the actual value of each NFV is. I think it would definitely need its own marketplace, like you suggested. And I'll give you the real alpha, Josh, is we are going to build that ourselves. Okay. It is on our roadmap in the coming months. But if somebody else wants to build another version of it, we would love to support them too. Okay, that's great. Yeah, because I was thinking about the ability to interchange between these different loans. I think that would be a very cool concept for an end user. Right. Um. Is there anything else you would like to add before we conclude this interview? Uh, let's see. I guess the only thing that I would add is, you know, we're launching Testnet really soon. And I hope as many people as possible come and help us test it and help us find bugs and improve the system before we get there. And I sure hope that there will be rewards for people that help us do that. Oh, that's cool. So for our listeners, if you guys would like to get involved, tell them the website where they can go and learn more information. Sure. You can go to opendollar.com and start testing out our testnet app right now. Okay. And we'll be live on Arbitrum mainnet really soon. Thank you. I appreciate you being here, buddy. Um, this has been DeFi Disruption with Joseph, the co-founder and CEO of OpenDollar. Thank you for being here, brother. Thanks for having me.